pulled the hustle today because we have communion. Yeah, Sherry's even telling me, get it going, Kevin. Step it up. Kickstart it. Now she's going to punch me because I'm, I'm telling her. If you see objects being thrown at me from across the room, they're, they're offerings of love and understanding. <laughs> We're talking about relationship, relay sonship, relay daughtership, just didn't kind of, kind of fit in the title, but the idea is attributes of sons and daughters. How many know you're a son and a daughter? You know that? It's huge. Huge, 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 huge. John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to they he gave the right to become. Everybody say become. The children of God to those who believe on his name. We talked about this last week. When we receive Jesus, we are given the position of sons and daughters. Positionally, we stand as a son and a daughter. But what the Bible teaches us is we have to grow into that identity. While it's given to us by position, it's given to us by right, we must grow into maturity. It's just like having a child, right? You have a daughter, you have a son, they grow into that identity. So while we are given that as Christians, we must grow. And so what does it look like? A lot of confusion. I believe the Lord is kind of releasing this knowledge into the church because it's a common topic being talked about is uh, sons and daughters. You hear it a lot. We sing about it. You know, good, good father is another, you know, the songs that we sing and then a lot of songs related to that and a lot of teachings related to this. But not anybody, people don't really have a clarity as to what the heck this means. We have a right to become. And so what we need to look at is what does it actually mean to be a son and a daughter? And last week we talked about priorities. Sons and daughters prioritize the Lord in everything. The kingdom, the gospel, their identity, the purposes of their father become their priority. Becomes the filter. So the glory of God is reflected in our workplace. The glory of God is reflected in our attitudes, our actions, the way we handle our money, everything. Our identity as sons and daughters is reflected in the way that we live. Our identity as sons and daughters is reflected in the way we go about our lives and the way that we plan our future. And today we want to talk about, I'm going to talk to you about purity. But purity not so much in the moral sense, right? We love to talk about moral purity within the church. And while that's important... The greater subject is not so much the outwardness of purity as much as it is the purity of the heart. And so we take on a topic like, like the heart is huge. You could literally do a series on this. And so it's like, what angle am I going to go from? There's like a lot of different angles you can go from when it comes to the heart. And so we want to talk about more of purity in the heart towards the Lord. So we want to talk about that. Ezekiel says, then I will sprinkle water. This is a prophetic word given to the children of Israel that told them what was going to happen when the Messiah came. Something was going to shift. Everything that was external was going to become internal. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. So what happens when you receive Jesus? You got clean water on you. Aren't you glad? Come on. That's good stuff. Clean water. Right? So he sprinkles clean water on us and he cleanses us from the defilement of our idols. Idols are the things that take priority and purpose in our life. The things that we set above the Lord in our life. And people go, I worship Jesus. Yeah, but there's, if you look at the arenas of your life and you identify the things that you set in front of us, some people love Jesus but idolize, some, uh, idolize relationships. Some people love Jesus but idolize money. Some people love Jesus but idolize their intellect, their attitudes, their, the, the things that they're capable of doing. They set idols before Him. And what it does is it inhibits the power of God. This is the key, right? He wants nothing from you. He wants all things for you. So when God is asking something from you, it's because he wants it for you. You understand that? And so what happens is when we have idols in our lives, these idols, and that's little, uh, uh, 1 John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. The idols are in our heart. In the Old Testament, they used to worship idols of stone and figures and all this stuff. What we do is we have idolatry within our heart. Even as Christians, we have worship thing, things in our heart that we set before the Lord, that we hold in higher esteem than we do the Lord. Well, I know I should probably do that, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. Well, you have an idol. The idol's telling you it doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean you're not born again. It doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. It just means there's some idols in your life. This was going on, Ezekiel is actually one of the biggest books that talks about idolatry, particularly idolatry among the priesthood or among the believers. Huh? They had established a temple, and what they did is they carved little holes in the temple, and they hid their idols literally within the temple. 
Within the temple, they had hidden idols. Crazy. And Ezekiel has a vision, prophetic vision, and he sees it. The Lord shows him. And that was what was corrupting the work of the Spirit in their life. Holy Spirit is limited not by Himself. Holy Spirit is limited by us. This is the key. you got to get out of the way. Right? What does that look like? Deal with the stuff. Confront the issues. Look where it is. Get it out of the way so that He can have more access to you. He's limited only by us. He doesn't force Himself. He's not going to make you give up your idols. He's not. You have to lay them down. So I'm going to sprinkle clean water and I'll cleanse you from the defilement. That's what idols do. They defile us. When we worship money, we're defiled by greed. It's an ugly feeling. It's self-consuming. That's why the Bible calls us into generosity to purge us from the defilement of greed. Love. He calls us to be generous. He calls us to serve, to get us beyond. We idolize our time. This is a big thing in America. It's the idolatry of time. It's my time. Really? You know, we idolize our time. The time becomes an idol to the purposes of God. God has called you to do certain things, but yet we pull back and idolize our time. Because our time is more important to us than the purposes of God. What we want becomes more important to us than the purposes of God. Therefore, God cannot do anything. He can't work. We hear uh, Robert Slearden was here a few weeks ago, and one of the things he said, which, I got, which just hit me, is he said, when the glory of God is among you, the first thing that goes is time. The absence of time. So could it be that when we set aside the idol of time and enter into the purposes and the glory of God, that he actually multiplies time? He actually expands the capacity of time? Could it be? The Bible says that he stretches time. He stretches the universe and stretches the heavens like a curtain. Could it be that he'll multiply your time if you'll stop idolizing it? Just a thought. There's lots of them. We could spend all day talking about idols. We have to keep ourselves from it. But what the first thing is, he's got to become aware of it. And not aware of it like, oh my gosh, God's so against me. The Lord's like, listen, we got to clean the room up here, okay? We got to get this stuff out of the closet. We got to move. We got to create some space. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. He's going to change your heart. This is one of the aspects of coming to Christ. You're not only cleansed, you got a new heart. Some of you, you need to awaken to the concept that you have a new heart. Some of you, you need to awaken to the concept that there's a right spirit in you. And His name is the Holy Spirit. This word for stone, and the word, well, the word for stone means hard. I'm going to take the hardness of the matter of your heart, the selfish heart, the indifferent heart, the heart that has no feeling, the heart that has no concern, the heart that is only worried about yourself, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. The Hebrew word for the word flesh means person or identity. So I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, is how it's translated, but it means personhood or identity. I'm going to give you a different heart. I'm going to give you a heart as a whole person. I'm going to give you a heart as an identity. And I would argue that the identity of the heart that God has given us is the identity of sons and daughters. I'm going to give you a heart that knows how to respond to me in relationship to who I have made you. Just a thought. Next slide. Come on. Yeah. This is your chance, man. It's your chance to shout it out. Our hearts, our, our hearts must bust. Our hearts must be tested. Love is meaningless unless it's proven. And all the women should give me an amen on that. Okay? Love, thank you. Love is meaningless unless it's proven. Do you love me? Of course I love you. What's the next word, ladies? Prove it. Show me. Love is meaningless unless it's proven. Our hearts must be tested. Proverbs 17, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord does what? He tests the hearts. If we're sons and daughters and we love Him, He is going to try our hearts. He's trying us to prove what is right, but also to reveal what is wrong. And here's the paradigm shift. When God is showing you what is wrong, He is showing you what is wrong because He wants to make it right. We got this crazy concept of guilt and condemnation and shame is that God is showing you what is wrong because He's trying to guilt you, He's trying to shame you, He's trying to condemn you. Go look at what a disgusting little weasel you are. That's not what he's doing. He's showing you the issues within your heart so that you can learn. He can teach you how to deal with them and purify that and shift from the places of your heart that are wrong. 1 Thessalonians, we speak the message of God. Why? God has tested us and trusted us. See, tests lead to trust. 
Tests lead to upgrades, right? When you're going to graduate from one grade to another, what do they do for you? They, they give you a test, right? When you're going to get a promotion at work, a lot of times they want to test you. Sometimes when you're going to get hired for a job, they want to test you. What is your knowledge in this area? What is your knowledge of our company? They test you. Proven. When we speak, we are not trying to please God. We're not trying to please people, but we're trying to please God who does what? Tests our hearts. So we stand where we stand. We hold the positions that we have. We've received the upgrades that we've received and the positions that we've received and the promotions because the Lord has tested our hearts. Isaiah says this, the people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they have removed me from their hearts and their honor from me is man-made. Here's my thought. Could it be that Jesus is more interested in the purity of your heart than he is in religious performance? Could it be? He's more interested in the love and the purity that comes from a heart than he is don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. It's true. Church majors in the minors. We focus on externals. And we do give little care or concern to the heart or to the purity of the heart and what the intention of the heart is. That's what Jesus was interested in. He wasn't interested. The religious leaders would run up to him. How dare you eat grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus is like, they're hungry. Have you not read? Don't you understand the heart of the law? Don't you understand the heart of the Torah? That's what Jesus was constantly promoting and pushing these religious leaders onto was their failure to understand the heart of the law. They understood the law, but they didn't understand the heart behind the law. And so they had made God cold. They had made God calloused. They had made God uncaring, unloving, and judgmental. Wrong perception. And instead of drawing people unto the Lord, they were pushing people away. How many of you have ever felt like that? Judged, condemned, outcast, even by Christians. Hello. I came from a really good church a couple churches back. And uh, really good, high-teaching church, really good stuff, solid stuff. But there was a little, there was a, let's just say this, there was a tinge of religion there. You know, where you been, brother? I haven't seen you. You doing okay? Have you backslidden at all? <gasps> you went to an R-rated movie? Was that movie about Jesus? You guys went out and played pool? I'm not quite sure pool's spiritual. And one of the guys you were with was smoking a cigarette, God forbid. <laughs> this is like kind of like, what is it? Smoking, I always say, smoking doesn't send you to hell, just makes you smell like you've been there. That's all that smoking does. But, you know, but we, we, had this, we had this examination of ourselves. I call it contemplating your navel. We just sat around and stared at our belly button all day long, looking for lint. We were less we, the, the church was less concerned about the actions and the heart and the transformation of the believer than they were concerned about the external behavior of the believer. Everybody was focused on the externals. That was all focused on that. Like if you showed up and you, know, and you were casual, they'd be like, this is the house of God, brother. You, got, you haven't had time for a haircut, Kevin? Why are you looking like that? Well, I just got off of work and I thought I could make it. I'd come with my work clothes. And they'd be like... You, couldn't, you, you didn't have time to go home and change? No. But hey, I'm here. Can we celebrate the fact that I'm here? As opposed to looking at me going, what are you wearing? God forbid. You've got paint on your clothes. This is the house of God. You need to come and look like you're ready to meet the king. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a bit here, but I'm trying to show you the reality of our attitudes within our churches. And, and I'm trying to point to you what Jesus is really caring about. <laughs> He's not concerned with it, man. If you want to be that, great. If you want to be that and that's what you want to present to them, wonderful. But make sure the heart is pure behind the action. Because that is everything. Everything. Their worship of me is man-made. We put up falsities, pretenses. Whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Outwardly we look wonderfully, but inside we couldn't be more, more, more far. Jesus is more interested in that. Tests are the doorways to promotion within the kingdom. Let's just say that together. Tests are the doorways to promotion within the kingdom. You mean I can be promoted? You bet your butt. You can be, well, I shouldn't have said that, but anyway, you bet your, I'm going to say it anyway, you bet your butt. <laughs> you can be promoted. Next slide. <laughs> What's that? Oh, brother, you said butt in the church. Anyway, <laughs> test precedes success. Not a test of circumstances. Say this with me. The testing of the Lord is not a test of circumstances. It is a test of faith. So the Lord will allow 
God is not tempting you. He's testing you. The circumstances are allowed in order to test your response to the circumstance. So the test is not the circumstance. The test is your response to the circumstance. How are you going to respond? That's what heaven is looking at. Not the circumstance. How well you just endure it and weather the storm. The test is how will you respond in light of the circumstance that you find yourself in? Will you operate in faith? Will you operate in fear? Will you operate in forwardness? Will you retreat? Will you search for me? Or will you go and find your counsel elsewhere? That's another test. God allows tests in order to get us to look to Him. He proves us. Lord, You are my reliance. You are my support system. You are my everything. He's testing you to see which way you're going to go. Which way do we go? And what happens is, is that He allows the things, even our wrong choices, to be exposed. Not to diminish us, but to change us. Kevin, you freaked out there. You really lost your grip. Okay, It's not really how I would have had you to do. I'm a big one on this. It's okay to have momentary freakouts. Okay? Lord has shown me this. He's shown me this. It's not the action. It is the consistent pattern of your life. You understand that? doesn't mean things don't happen to you and you don't like freak out. Right? You wouldn't be human if you didn't freak out. You wouldn't be human if you didn't experience emotion. Whoa, freak out. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You wouldn't be human. But if that's the pattern, then there's a problem that needs to be addressed. There's, something, there's an issue within the heart. There's a faith problem there that's going on. There's an unbelief problem that's going on. There's something going on there. So what we shouldn't do is condemn yourself just because you freaked out. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, okay, I freaked out. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? You know, and you, you, you calm yourself, you hold yourself down and you have faith. We talked about it even last week. You can have faith and be freaking out. This is a hard one for Christians because we're taught we're, we're men and women of God of power for the hour. And that we're not allowed to feel anything negative or contrary. And if we feel anything negative or contrary, then it's of the devil. No. You can have negative and contrary feelings and emotions and still have faith. All through the Scripture you see it. People are freaking out. I'll give you the biggest one that stands out the clearest to me right now. Jesus in the garden. Was He freaking out? Would anybody here argue he He didn't have faith? Somebody going to say, it's because Jesus didn't have faith. That's why he's freaking out. No, clearly you can see the Son of God freaking out, but having faith at the same time. You see the difference? You can be freaking out, not knowing which way this thing's going to go, but still believing that God is working for your good. Still believing and trusting in the promises. You can be taking actions of faith and still be flipping out. It's true. And where we neuter the power is because we condemn the Christian for the fact that they're even having an emotional response. You see that? Well, oh my gosh. And so we condemn ourselves. Oh, there's something wrong with me. I shouldn't be freaking out. No, okay, all right, I'm freaking out. All right, good. Right. Okay. What does the Lord say? What is God saying? What is the response that heaven is looking for from me? You see the difference? Big difference. This is what brings liberty to our lives is when we realize Jesus is accepting of our humanity. Right? And with the pattern of that, so if you got a pattern, so if you're like freaking out for like five months and there are three weeks and there's no issue of faith at all, there's no expression of faith at all, then you've got an issue. So you can be in faith and you can be freaking out. Then you get back in faith and you can be freaking out. You can be in faith and you can be freaking out. Anybody ever been there? Huh? Two of you? <laughs> when you go through something over a protracted period of time, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Not something that's not resolved in days or weeks or even months. You're going to realize that's how, that's how it goes. But Jesus is looking for the mountaintops. He's looking for the peaks. He's not condemning you in the valley. Right? It's important to know that. So there's trials. He tests you in circum- the circumstances are always an issue of faith. He's trying to extract faith from you. Belief. Trust. And as you push forward in through the circumstances, you see things differently. Say this with me. I will never know what is in me until something is put on me. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's in you until something's put on you. God puts weight on your life. That's the whole word glory to reveal what is in you. 
And the sufferings of this present time shall in no way be compared to the glory that what? Shall be revealed in us. What is revealed in us and through us is because what is put on us. A lot of times people complain in churches because the church actually asks you to do something. I mean, we don't have that too much here. But a lot of times that's the problem. You're asking me to do something. That is the greatest honor that can be paid to you. If the church or the people of the church are asking you to do something, it's because they see more in you than you see in yourself. Just a thought. Oh, they just want my time. No, there's a purpose to this, and there's a process to this, and there's something seen and visualized within you that you can't even see within yourself. God puts things on you because he's trying to extract from you things in you that you cannot see. In this we greatly rejoice, if now for a little while, if need be, we are grieved by various trials. Hello. <laughs> trials grieve. <laughs> That's my first point. They grieve and they are various. There's all kinds of trials. And not one of them is good. They grieve you. Oh, not again. Oh, that too. <laughs> you guys with me? I did my best to dismantle the, the, the religion here before I went into this. <laughs> the genuineness of our faith. So what happens is that the trials pull out of us the genuineness of our faith that is more precious than gold. God is more interested in expression of faith. That's what he wants. That's gold. Look how my sons and daughters believe me. Look how everything is against them, yet they stand. Look at that. Look at that. That's his treasure. Before the audience of the angelic army, he shows you off. Look at the faith that they produce. Look at how they stand. Look at how they will. Look at how they believe me for the promises. That's why without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because he's pleased by faith. He's pleased by us believing him in his promises and believing him for what he has said. It's tested by fire. See that? Faith is produced through the trial. It's tested by fire. And what comes from this is praise, honor, glory, and revelation. What? So you're tested by fire. You believe God. And guess what? Jesus always brings you through. 100% of the time, he brings you through. If you win, you win. If you lose, you still win. The Bible says to live as Christ and die as gain. You can't get a better offer than that. Say, it's going to kill me. Well... You're going, to get a, you're going to get the greatest upgrade you've ever had. Just, you, know, if it, if it, you cannot lose. And so what happens when Jesus brings you through, you praise Him. There's a great honor and respect and reverence for Him. Now you are who you say you are. Not only do I thank you, but now I honor you for who you say you are. There's glory. I have experienced your goodness. And guess what else happens? Revelation. What? You see things that you never saw before. You have insights and divine understanding into things you never had before because of what you went through. You see God differently. You see circumstances differently. You see your faith differently. You see everything differently because he reveals it to you through the process of trial. So it's the testing of our hearts. Next slide. What is, what is on us reveals what is in us. And Jesus is looking to reveal, to purify our hearts by revealing what's there. Okay? So here, there's a lot of affirmation that comes with the revealing of your heart. You're like, wow, I never, believed, I never thought I had that much faith. Well, what happens is the Holy Spirit rises. You'd be amazed when you start seeing the Spirit of God beginning to step into the gap, into the weak areas of your life. But we need to look at what is there and why it's there. So also the testing and the trying on the heart reveals things that God wants to deal with. And they don't come out any other way. They can't get, they can't get the dross out of silver until they melt it. They can't purify the gold and get all the impurities out of gold until they heat it. They have to heat it up. So from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and all sexual immorality, lying, theft, and slander. So what happens is, is that these, things, these issues happen in our life and things begin to come out of you. Here we go. Why am I jealous, Holy Spirit? Jealousy is going to come out of your heart. And you're not going to know why. And we pretend it's not there. Well, there's something happening. Why? Am I jealous? Why am I hateful? Here's another one. You ever have that? You just hate everybody. You know? Now, maybe it's a bad day. Maybe it's a bad habit. Or maybe it's bad belief. But what God is doing is He is using what is in you to show you something about yourself in order that it would be changed. Why am I resentful towards that person? Why do I hate that person when I should love that person? What 
is going on here? What is wrong in me that makes me feel and believe that way towards others, towards myself? There's another one. Why? What's going on in me? And sometimes it's a bad day, right? We all have bad days. Right? We didn't get enough sleep. We get, you know, something happened. We're ornery. That's a bad day. Sometimes it's a bad habit. We do things that produce it back into our... And the biggest thing is it's a bad belief. We believe wrongly. People are jealous and envious of others because they don't believe that God is going to be good to them. That's a sin of unbelief. Oh, no, I have faith in Jesus. No, you have unbelief in that area. We have to dissect this down to all of its forms. Belief in Christ is only the beginning. That's belief in His Lordship. But we have to also look at the other areas of our life where we don't have belief. What? Absolutely. Some of you, you, you don't believe it's God's will to prosper you. Some of you, you don't believe it's God's will to, to cause you to succeed. Some of you don't believe that God is going to be good to you or God is going to love you. Some of you, we have bad belief systems. And these bad belief systems produce negative habits and produce negative attitudes towards other people. And we have to be willing to allow that to emerge. And what we do is we're deniers, right? We deny it. We act like it's not there. No, there's something there. If it keeps coming up, there's something there. Right? If I'm consistently annoyed at somebody, there's something there and I need to find out why. If I'm consistently ticked off, and I'll give you another one. Not just yourself. Ready? Ready? I'm going to give you one. Hold the chair. Here it comes. At the Lord. Oh, oh no, I'm never mad at the Lord. Really? Uh, uh-huh. You are going to, you have to begin to, and willing to examine the heart and the attitude. A lot of us have anger, bitterness, resentment towards the Lord. And then we, we see that and we feel that, and then we want to hide it and pretend it's not there. That's not going to solve anything. You have to understand, Lord, I'm, why am I bitter? Ask him, why am I bitter at you? Why am I angry at you? And he's going to show you. And so let me give you this one. It's a series of questions. He's going to show you. You don't believe that I'm going to bless you. Okay. And then we go, okay, well then I need to believe that God's going to bless us. Nope, wrong answer. Take another question. Why do I not believe you want to bless me? You see that? He shows you something, and his intention is for you to ask him another question. Well, we stop right there. Oh, the Lord told me I need to believe him more for his promises. So that's what I'm going to do. Err. No, you need to ask him, what is the root of that? The root of that. The root of that is that you do not see me as good. The root of that is that you portray me as a man. The root of that is this or that or that. He's going to show you all this other stuff. You have never given me the opportunity to bless you because you're too fearful that you will not obey me. And your fear is rooted in the belief that I will not bless you. Therefore, you retreat into fear and never step forward into faith to do the things that I ask, thereby not giving me the opportunity to bless you. And your perception of me is completely wrong. Just a thought. We have to be willing to look at this stuff. We have to be willing to do this. This is what changes us and transforms. We are changed from glory to glory, from good to good. Be watchful over your heart, dear brothers. Make sure that your hearts are not rooted in evil and unbelieving that will turn you away from the living God. We have to watch our hearts, even as Christians. And we have to look. The Bible talks about roots of bitterness, roots of resentment. Roots of bitterness and roots of resentment. So let me just give you a, question, a clue. They don't go away on their own. Can I, all the married couple said, that's right. I would never resent my husband, really. I would never resent my wife, really. I would never resent my kids, really. The roots of bitterness and resentment don't go away on their own. They have to be dealt with. They have to be dealt with. And they have to be reconciled to the best of our abilities. And that's just one example. Undealt with issues of the heart make you what? Cynical. Ooh. Bitter. Critical and judgmental. All of those things inhibit us from living from the heart that God has given us as sons and daughters. Here's the deal. Cain. Cain didn't get what he wanted. God told Cain to do something. Cain wanted to do it his way. He was the first Frank Sinatra. He wrote the song, I did it my way. The Lord said, do it like this. Cain said, nah, I'm going to do it like that. And the Lord said, I'm not receiving that from you, Cain, because you didn't do what I told you. And he honored Abel for doing what he said, but he wouldn't honor Cain. He didn't reject him, he just didn't honor him. And so Cain went away and sucked his thumb and pouted in the corner and stamped his feet like a baby. 
And the Lord went to him and said, why is your countenance fallen? Why is there bitterness in your heart, Cain? If you do what I tell you to, you'll be accepted. If you do what I'm asking you, the blessing will come. But sin lies at the door and wants to consume you. Here's the problem. The Bible says that by a man's own choices, destruction comes, yet his heart rages against the Lord. A lot of times Christians inherit the wind or inherit the whirlwind because of choices and actions that they had, and yet we blame the Lord for it. We need to look no further than ourselves. So when there's problems, and God says, this is the path I need you to take, you know, I need you to stop putting yourself around corrupting influences. But I like those corrupting influences. And then things go against you, then you go, why are you doing this to me, Lord? I need financial blessing. Here's, this was what he did with Cain. He, offered, he asked for an offering. The first and the best. Cain didn't want to give the first and the best. Cain wanted to give what he felt like and what was left over. And the Lord goes, take it home with you. I'm not interested in it because I know your heart. Your heart behind that is, is you're doing that out of obligation. You're not doing that out of honor. You're disrespecting me and I'm not going to receive it. So take it home. And with him, Cain taking it home, he also took home the blood. He also never got the blessing. He didn't, there was no blessing attached to the offering because Cain was not doing it the way the Lord had asked. Just a thought. We have to do the things that the Lord asks in order to inherit the blessing. We can break that down in a hundred different ways. People want to come, want to inherit King. People that believe there is a God and they believe there's an afterlife, they don't want to come to Jesus. Well, I believe Buddha's the way. I believe Muhammad's the way. No, I believe that it's the great cosmic scale of good, of good and evil. You know, what I do good and what I do bad. What I, it was going to weigh it all out in the end. I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. The Lord says, no, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way unto the Father. He's the only one unto salvation. But people don't want that. that. That's too much for them. And you see it all, you see it not just with unbelievers. You see the same thing with people. But this is also a plague within the church. God has commanded blessing to be upon you, but there's processes to the blessing. It's just what it is. Man wants his own way, and we have to realize that's pride of heart, and we need to kill it every single time. Every time your heart exalts itself against the Lord, you need to kill it. Every time your heart tells you to do something that the Lord told you to do, you need to kill it. No way. Somebody put it this way, shooting the traitor. There's a traitor that lives inside of you that wants to betray you at all times. He's a Judas. That's what it is. It's a Judas. You've wasted it. Don't give that to the Lord. You're wasting it. That's another story. We'll get into that. Next slide. You got to kill Judas, man. That's what I'm saying. You got to take that part of you that rages and does that against the Lord, and you got to put it to death. And if there's an issue, why don't I want to believe? Why don't I want to believe? I'll tell you one about my offering. This is the one that's coming to me. I used to go to a church, and, I, and, and like, I didn't want to be there, but I felt like God had told me to be there. And so there were things that definitely annoyed me and drove me crazy. I know I'm the only one, but, you know, uh, that, that's like that. And so I would go to give because I've always been a faithful giver, faithful tither, and I would have a problem. And I would be like, and I'd have the check in my back pocket. I know I'm the only one. I know. I know it's just me. Just me. So let me, let me just put myself out there. And I would be like, standing at the offering box, I'd be like, I would walk down the hallway and I would say, what is my malfunction? What is wrong with me? I would literally ask the Lord that. What's wrong with me that I have this attitude? And the Lord says, you think you're giving to them. You think you're giving to something you don't agree with when in fact you're giving to me. Your perception's wrong. If he wants to take it outside and have a campfire with it, then that's up to him. Because you didn't give it to, he's a, the, the church is accountable for what it does with the resources. You are not. You're accountable to give whether you agree or not, period. That's hard. Christians, that, that, I'm telling you what gospel is, not what human, human belief is. And so I'm obligated to give whether he lights it on fire in the backyard or not. I'm responsible. God isn't looking to me for what the church does with the resources. The Lord is looking to me for what I did with my resources and whether I honored him or not. And you know what? Ready? He will not accept excuses. Well, I didn't believe this, and I didn't think that, and I didn't agree with this, and I didn't agree with that. You know what he's going to tell you? No excuse. You have no excuse. He never gave you that as an excuse. Your, your responsibility is that. His responsibility is to bless you in return. So to see the two-way street, the church and its leadership are definitely accountable for everything that has been given to them. 
You don't think I'm going to have violence. Not all should seek to be teachers, for such will face a stricter judgment. Just a thought. Everything I teach you, I will account for. And there's lots of pastors around the country that need to take that into consideration. He's not just looking for doctrinal correctness. He's expecting me to reflect his heart correctly. That's what he's going to judge me on. And he's going to hold me accountable, not because, well, Lord, I got all my doctrine right. Like he said, like the church at Ephesus. They had all their doctrine right, but their heart was wrong. He said, I'm not interested that whether you got all your ducks in a row. That's great, Kevin. Wonderful. All of your theological positions are sound, but did you reflect my heart well to my people? Did you do that? And that is a frightening thing to consider when you know you're going to answer. What it forces and what it's supposed to force the leader to do is go, what is your heart? If you are going to hold me accountable for your heart, then I need to know your heart. That's what it's designed to do. To make the leader not lazy, but to press him in to the heart so that the heart of God can come to the people and the people can rise to the level of his heart. And we think it's all about theological and doctrinal correctness. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. Just a thought. I gotta close. Woo! I'm having a therapy session up here this morning. <laughs> you can read this later. Come on. Yeah. Daniel 1.5. Daniel, you read this a little bit later, but I want to tell you, Daniel was expected to be assimilated into a culture. Daniel was promoted in negative circumstances. So when you have the right heart and the right attitude towards the Lord, the promotion that is on your life as a son and daughter will come to pass, provided that you will walk in the right understanding that he gives you. Daniel was following, was taken to Babylon. All of this stuff happened. They were trying to assimilate him into the culture. They changed his name, changed his clothes, gave him all the food that he wanted, and he was in the king's palace. And he was 15 years old and didn't have any parental supervision. Most of us would be like, rock star. You know what I'm saying? He didn't do that. He honored God. He didn't want to follow the crowd. He was tested in that environment. What did the Lord test him with? Integrity. He tested Daniel with integrity. Daniel became promoted. I don't know if you know that. He went through three empires. And he held a high-ranking position globally with three empires. But he would have never held those positions had he not been tested. He would have never been given the influence had he not been tested. And God tested him with integrity. We think that, I don't know what, that, lousy. I have spell check problems on my computer. Not just doing what we say. We think that integrity means that we do what we say. Integrity in the scripture means knowing who you are. Integris is who you are in line with who you, who I say you are. That, are you integrated in that identity? It's not just say, well, I told you I'd be there Tuesday at 7. I'm here Tuesday at 7, therefore I have integrity. That's responsibility. Integrity is knowing who you are and living out who you are. Daniel understood he was a son. Daniel understood he was a servant, not of that king, but of a king greater. So therefore, his attitude and his actions were reflected through that identity, and his integrity was proven. Your identity as a son and daughter must become your filter. That is your grid. I am a son and a daughter. And when you understand yourself like that, and you walk in the honor that God has actually bestowed upon you, it will affect everything. Next slide. Discipline. He applied the things that he was taught. He chose to be hungry for something else. They put the king's table in front of him, said you can have anything you want. He said, I don't want this, I want that. And it's an indicator that Daniel wasn't hungry for the things that the culture provided. He was hungry for the things that the heaven provided and the kingdom culture of heaven was providing. He was hungry for something different. If you want promotion in God's house, in God's kingdom, in God's world, you must be hungry for what he has. It's a hunger for him. I want to be promoted in business, Lord, but I want to be hungry for your design. I want to be hungry for the things that you have. It will apply into every area of your life. Ego and promotion. Say, I have this whole, I've had this little wrestling match with, my, with the Lord on this whole idea of promotion. You know, and like realizing that promotion is necessary. That's what the Lord told me, but ego is not. Okay? You know the difference here. So we are necessary. In order for us to become who we are, there's got to be some level of promotion. In order for this church to succeed, there has to be some level of promotion. But is the promotion based in the whole? Or is the promotion based in the ego of a personality or a person? 
When the ego is set inside, that's where the misalignment, that's where it becomes incongruent. Promotion is necessary in your life, but ego is not. Daniel could have been like, man, I am the chosen one. I'm sitting at the king's table. Have you seen this Armani they gave me, man? I'm getting filet mignon every night. I've got gold, bling, bling, look at me. He could have been like that. He accepted the promotion without walking into the ego. You see the difference? He chose the lower place and chose to esteem God and not himself. It would have been very easy for Daniel to go, I'm walking with the king. Are you? It would have been really easy for him to do that. Start signing glossies at the door, eight by tens. Hey, guys, just want to let you know, yeah, I got promoted. Yeah, check it out. Got a new book, new tape series. Nothing wrong with books and tape series if it's promoting the whole. Just a thought. Ambition is not bad, but selfish ambition is bad. Ambition to glorify the kingdom of God. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful in business, provided that your ambition to do that is to glorify the whole, to bring about the things of God that he wants. There's nothing wrong with it. But if your ambition in business is merely for the issue of self-promotion, then you need to back up and examine the heart. And that's a delicate balance. And it's not an issue of where you don't receive from what God is giving you, you do. But am I trying to put my ego out there or am I trying to put the kingdom forward? That's the difference. Just the thought. Lastly, he had courage. So he had discipline and he had courage. He had to stand alone. Standing alone is hard. Say it with me. Standing alone is hard, hard, hard. Modern Christian culture has taken Jesus off of everything. We'd get rid of the cross. We don't want to talk about Jesus. We don't talk about Jesus in the public square. We don't want to talk about him. We just want people to see our good works and maybe somehow, somewhere, they'll figure out that we're Christians. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. He's the, it, what a beautiful name it is. Why would we hide it? What a powerful name it is. Why would we hide it? It's not about hiding it. Daniel stood rightly. He acknowledged his God in a public square. He acknowledged his God when it really wasn't comfortable for him to do it. What has to happen within the church is this is going to shift. As sons and daughters, say this with me, it's what we stand for. Say it with me. Sons and daughters stand for. Oh, come on. you that. Sons and daughters stand for. Not against. You see the difference? We stand for the righteousness of God, not against the evil within the culture. We lift up Jesus and his righteousness as the standard. And that's hard. And that's a balance. And I'm here to articulate how every exact point on how that works. But the idea is, the attitude is, what do we stand for? We stand for traditional marriage. Not traditional marriage, biblical marriage. Like, well, we're for historical marriage. I told my wife, I'm not for historical marriage. I'm not even for traditional marriage. I'm for biblical marriage. It has nothing to do with history or tradition. It has to do with the Bible. Hello. We're not, we stand for Jesus, not against other gods. There's another thought. When they condemned Paul and they arrested Paul, you know one of the charges? They were trying to get him loosed because they said, he has not spoken evil of our gods. What? So here they're arresting Paul for promoting Jesus, but at the same time they're like, well, he's just promoting Jesus. He's not really speaking evil against our gods, but yet it got him arrested. It was still having a cultural impact and a cultural influence. We exalt Christ as the one and only. Let him out of the cage and let the rest, let the Spirit do the rest. As believers, our hearts have to be what we stand for, not what we stand against. You see the difference? We don't need to be in a position of standing for. Well, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. You just let the stuff out and it just changes everything. So Daniel had integrity. He was disciplined. He had courage. Last slide. We're going to take communion. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or God? If I'm trying to please people, I would not... I, if I'm, or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people... I would not be a servant of Christ. Somewhere along the line, we got to work this out. we got to realize that if we're going to serve Jesus, it's not always going to win you the popularity contest. You're not always going to be in the majority. You're going to be in the extreme minority. Extreme. And I feel like at this time in our culture and this time in our age, God is drawing a dividing line. He's measuring out the line. and He's, dividing, he's putting a clear line, not just in the culture, but in his church. Okay? Major, major pastor came out and said this, you know, and uh, had all this flack, and he retracted his position. He said, if I was a pastor today, he's retired now, but he's very famous, he said, I would perform a same-sex marriage. That's what he said. 
Well, what's wrong with that? Well, the Bible doesn't say that. Marriage is between a man and a woman, period. As it was from the beginning, Jesus said. He, he, he does it. This guy comes out and says that because there's a dividing line being put down in our culture. And you see, God is allowing those who fall on one side and another because he's revealing it. The shaking begins in the house of God. It begins in the house of God. The sheep and the goats are separated first within the church and then within the culture. You understand that? Well, he got his books was going to be pulled and everything like I'm going to put him out there. Uh, he wrote the message, the message translation, Gene, uh, whatever his name is. I mean, I'm totally going to put him out there. This guy wants to put his view out there. I'm going to put him out there. That's what he did. And then he retracted it three days later because all the Christian bookstores were going, we're not going to sell your stuff anymore. And then he come out and said, wait a second, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. No, you were right. That's why you really believe. And so you're fronting everybody with another position. But what you really believe is what you said. Just a thought. I mean, if that's what you believe, then stand out there and say it. Don't hide behind this and pretend you're that. If that's what you are, then stand there. If this is what you are, then stand here. This is the point. Sin has corrupted us. And when we understand why people behave the way they behave, it's because sin has infected us. And we must be born again. We're born into sin. Sin takes us down all kinds of evil roads and all kinds of self-indulgences and all kinds of self-will. Sin's the problem. Jesus is the answer. We come to Christ. We become born again, renewed in our spirits and our mind. A big part of particularly same-sex issues, i got to go out there because I already put myself in the ditch, so i got to go out there and explain this, is gender brokenness and identity brokenness. People don't understand themselves for what they are. When you come to Christ, you become born again. Your perspectives change. It should change. Your ideas change. What I was is now what I, what I was is not who I am. You may still have pulls in certain directions, but your identity has changed. Something has shifted. And what has to happen is the person has to relieve and understand that I'm a son of God. I'm a son of the highest. This is not, that is not who I am. That will solve a lot of dating relationships, ladies. If you understand yourself to be a daughter of God, you will not be so easily, you will not follow. That's another story. <laughs> Sons and daughters allow their tarots to be tested and set them in purity before the Father. This is the goal. And I believe there's a great testing that's happening within the culture of the Christian community itself. There's a great testing that's happening even now. And the Lord is asking if the church will step forward and learn how to navigate in these rough waters. If we will learn to navigate how to be a voice, a voice of affirmation, not a voice of opposition, what we're for. That's what I believe he's doing. And it's a great test. I'm not going to go. If I go share this next verse, I'm going to go off on it. But anyway, Holy Spirit wants to talk to you guys. Come on. I got to close. Do you believe it? Yes. Yes. Noah and I were talking yesterday, and he just said, he quoted a verse, and he said, Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride. He's going to purify us. He's going to show our attitudes to be true, or he's going to show our attitudes to be false. He's going to show us that we're either, Jesus said, if you're for me, you will gather to me. If you're against me, you'll be scattered. So we have to be for the things that Christ is for. We have to allow the Spirit of God to, to test us in order to reveal what is wrong with us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for these beautiful people. I just give you glory. I release your word, Lord. Even if I didn't put all the understanding that was needed behind it, Lord, I release it nonetheless, that it would prosper and do what it is that you have sent it to do. Lord, we honor you this morning. We honor you this day. Father, bless our time of communion, Lord, that we would remember who you are and what you are. And not just in remembering who you are and what you are, but who we are and what we are. So, Father, we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So if you guys would make your way up and around and grab the communion element, just take the cracker and the... The, the juice back to your seat with us, with you, excuse me, You'll, we'll take it together as Jody plays.
breaking of bread and sharing of wine as a memorial unto himself is significant because it reminds us that we are in him and that he is in us. It is significant, but it reminds us that what he did for us, what he gave for us. And Jesus, when he broke the bread, he said, take this and eat it. Get this in you because this is my body that was broken for you. And he tells him, as often as you do this, I want you to remember me. So let's just hold it up and say, Lord, I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. He took a cup and he said, this cup is the cup of a new covenant of better promises and better purposes. All that is old is passing away and all that is new has come. The blood of your previous generations and your ancestry doesn't matter anymore because now your bloodline flows through me. Say it, Jesus, I believe this is your blood that was shed for me. I believe that and I receive this. pray over you. You guys are awesome. I hope you have as good a time as I do up here, so I'm, I'm like having a great time. So. Who said church can't be fun, right? <laughs> he bless you. May the Lord bless you. Come on, receive it. May he keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you, and may he be gracious to you and give you peace, and may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. Leadership meeting after the 11.30, you're part of that.